Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. Today, we're traveling to Chamonix in France, where we're going to hear about one of the world's great treks, the incredible Tour de Mont Blanc. Here to talk about the TMB, as it's known, is Aurélie Moncio from one of France's great trekking companies, Ali Bear Trekking. Hi, Aurélie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Richard. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. So uh, for people that don't know, can you maybe d- just tell us, what is the Tour de Mont Blanc? The Tour de Mont Blanc is uh, one of the best treks in the world, of course. Uh, it's uh, about 170 kilometers, 100 miles uh, tour around uh, Mont Blanc, which is the highest peak in Western Europe. That is 4,807 meters. That's about 15,000 feet. During this trek, you not only go around this peak, but you also go through three different countries. Uh, France, you start usually start from France, go through Italy, and then Switzerland. So you uh, experience the, some of the most beautiful landscapes in the Alps and uh, discover three different cultures and uh, three different gastronomies. What's the history of the Tour de Mont Blanc? Because I've heard about it, but I've never heard it, you know, how it was developed or or how long people have been doing this this trail from the origin the first people to tour de mont blanc uh did it in 1769 it was a scientist a swiss scientist Horace benedict de saussure who was uh, very much interested in the mont blanc itself and was looking for a route to go to the top and he hired two french guides and they hiked around and it took them 22 days. This uh, same Swiss scientist was at the origin of the first ascent of Mont Blanc because he paid the price to the people who did the first ascent. During the 19th century, tourism in the Chamonix Valley developed uh, while hiking down in the valley. And at the same time, the alpinists started hiking the, climbing the highest peaks. The real hiking age started later on in the... Um, 20th century, mostly after World War II, when uh, outdoors started becoming very, very popular, and um, the um, Tour du Mont Blanc became, yeah, very popular in the second half of the 20th century. The mountain huts that were firstly uh, built for alpinists were then used for hikers, and uh, the trail became really popular uh, and more and more in the last 20 years. And so, you know, I, I didn't realize it had been around for that long. You know, I I discovered it 25 years ago, 20, 22 years ago, I think. I actually, you know, at that point, you know, it was kind of something I'd heard about, but it, you know, I, I didn't realize that people have been doing the Tour de Mont Blanc for, for so long. What do you think is, makes it so captivating? You know, why does everyone, you know, love the Tour de Mont Blanc, even today when it's, you know, much busier than it was, you know, even 20 years ago? You know, why do people get so captivated by this specific trek? I would say there are three main points. The first point is obviously the Mont Blanc itself, because it's the highest peak in Europe, and you can see it almost every day from different sides, and it is just beautiful. 
the second uh, point would be the closeness to the glaciers because the, the Mont Blanc is the peak, but all the mountain range is full of glaciers. And so you're close to the glaciers, the whole part. And it's really beautiful and, and very, very impressive. And the third part would be the culture, dif- the, um, culture discovery, because as I said, you will pass through three different countries, two different languages, because the Swiss part is uh, French speaking, but there's an accent, there's definitely another culture. And so it makes it a very rich and diverse experience. All of this using trails that are not, not too challenging trek. It's incredible when I did it. I met people who that was the very first trek they'd ever done. And uh, I know, you know, the first couple of days, you just see people with blisters, you know, fixing their feet. But by the end, everyone kind of settled in and found their routine. Uh, when I did it, I think I did it in nine days. But what like, what's the regular length that people do it? I know there's some that you know, that you can do really short. But what's the full uh, Tour de Mont Blanc? How long does it take? The normal length of Tour du Mont Blanc is six to ten days hiking. It all depends on your fitness and your choices. Because you can, as it goes down in the, the valleys, there are some places you can take transfers and use a bus to if you are if you want to shorten the trip. And if you want to do the full trip then and walk the whole way, then you will need 10 to 12 days. But that way you can have it really adapt to what you to what you want, your fitness and your schedule, I'd say. Then you can have or and you can also have very shorter version to go under six days. You'd have to be really fit. And then like for trail runners, trail running has been very important, too, in making the TMB popular. Uh, because since 2003, there is this uh, major uh, trail running uh, race that goes around Mont Blanc, and that has given uh, great um, images of the place, and for sure has um, make it more popular and given the will to even hikers to experience the same thing at their own pace. Yeah, I couldn't imagine doing an ultra marathon around Mont Blanc like that. You know, with all the ascent and descent. Uh, that's really incredible that, that those those folks do it. Um, for somebody thinking of of doing the kind of the standard route, can you maybe describe some of the highlights or some of the key stages where it's really spectacular? There are three main uh, highlights, main points that are the three main passes that you hike over that are over um, to twenty five hundred meters. So that's about. 8,000 feet high, you'll pass. Uh, the first one is the Col du Bonhomme. Um, it's the longest day that you hike in the Tour du Mont Blanc. It's uh, 1,300 meters eleva- um, elevation gain. And you can either sleep up there in the mountain hut or go down in the same day if you want a more comfortable uh, accommodation. And on this part, you... You'll, as it is so long, you'll pass through the different uh, mountain stages. So you'll start in the forest and go in the meadows. And when you're at the top, you'll be really close to the glaciers and see the Mont Blanc from, from a more secret face than the one you're used to see it in Chamonix. Um, the second pass is the Col de la Seine. Is the day you pass. It's the border between France and Italy, and you're also at about 2,500 uh, meters high. 
you start seeing the you really just this, this uh, pass you really discover the Italian side of Mont Blanc, which is really spectacular because you have not only glaciers, but also massive uh, rocky cliffs. The last pass is the Grand Col Ferret when you go from Italy to uh, Switzerland. At that time, you start to get um, used to the glacier. And I'd say the um, landscape is as spectacular as the days before, but you feel like you're in a no, more known place. You get used to the glacier, and it, the, the the landscape is different. But the 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 landscape is quite similar, but the feeling is different because you know the place. You, I don't know if you see what I mean. It, how do you say when uh, you get used to an animal? When an animal gets used to it, habituated, I think. Yeah, yeah. So you get habituated to to the glacier. Just you talking is bringing back these incredible memories. I still remember Refugio Elisabetta, um, where you're sitting there and there's like a glacier right above. And I remember just drinking a beer thinking, this is incredible that I'm sitting here and this is where I'm going to sleep tonight. Uh, and that leads into my next question. And I know there's a lot of debate around staying in hotels and staying in huts. And what do you think are the, t are the major differences between those two options? Well, the good thing is that you have those options. So it's not, Tour du Mont Blanc is not reserved to people who want to be in mountain huts. Both options are doable. Of course, uh, mountain huts are more authentic and you'll stay in the mountain the whole time. Whereas, well, staying in hotels, you'll have to take a bus or a taxi and go down in the valley, which has the advantage that you'll see a little bit more of the diversity of the local culture but it will get you out of the mountain experience during the night. Uh, one thing I always, you know, I always hear is people say, well, I need to have my own shower. I need to have my own bedroom. And I try and I try and say, you know, just try the mountain hut. Cause there's just, there's something special about being in a mountain hut, you know, after all the day hikers have left and there's just, you know, 40 or 80 people who are kind of all doing this great journey together. But what do you see? Do you see people that, that, go into the mountain huts and just have a, you know, they can't stand it because they don't like being in a dorm or they don't like not having a shower each day. For myself and my friends, I will def I would definitely recommend the mountain huts. For everyone, I'd recommend the mountain huts because because as you said, when the when everyone goes, goes down, then you're on your own on the terrace with your beer, watching the glacier. In the morning, you'll have the sunrise right here in the mountains, whereas if you're in the hotel, you may miss the sunrise because you get in the mountains a little later but then again everyone has its own sensibility so if you really if you really need a shower well you'll have to go down in the in the hotel but if you're a little scared but want to try the more rustic way then you can also do uh one day um a sh one day in the mountain hut and the next day in a hotel like on the six days version, for example, it's really, you can very easily have uh, one day out of two in a hotel, one day out of two in the mountain hut. And that's a um, good way to like push yourself out of your comfort zone and experience the the real mountain way, and but have some comfort every now and then. One thing that, that's always amazed me when I'm in mountain huts all over Europe is how good the food is. And, you know, here, you know, if you if you can find a mountain hut in Canada, the States that has food, 
it's usually like ready cook meals where you just add water to it or ramen noodles. You know, they don't have this great food. But what I found interesting is, you know, the food in the French mountain huts was classically French and they get to Italy and all of a sudden you're having these great, you know, Italian meals. And then actually in Switzerland, I stayed in a hotel in Champex, I think. So I'm not sure about Swiss mountain huts, but you know, do they, do they hire great chefs or is just, you know, the people up there that are, you know, the, the guardians, are they just naturally great cooks? Cause it, it's always blown me away how good the meals are. To be a mountain hut um, manager, you have to either be or hire a good cook. Cause it, it's part definitely part of the experience Historically, it hasn't been great everywhere, like I'm talking about 40 years ago, but now as, as it's getting more and more popular, people are waiting for that too in the, in the huts. And so they, they kind of try to be have a, the um, sort of contest between the huts to be the one who will have the best food. So, and I mean, in France, it's the food is great. You have the French food, but I'd say the best part of Tour du Mont Blanc regarding the food is definitely in Italy. There's also a place where I had myself my the my very best cappuccino ever in my whole life was on the Tour du Mont Blanc. <laughs> uh, I like that. Just for that, I recommend. <laughs> uh, there's a place in the Dolomites I had the best. We had the best strudel and cappuccinos, and we had like six cappuccinos. It was a Lagazoi hut, and we were with our kids and. And we were just packing back cappuccinos and strudel. And it was like the best, you know, I'd go back there, just take the cable car up just to have, you know, a cappuccino and strudel. You know, one thing that I wasn't aware of when I, the first time I did the Tour de Mont Blanc, you know, I carried everything on my back and I had a massive pack. This was before ultralight and all that. Um, but now you can actually hike the Tour de Mont Blanc with just a day pack with, you know, uh, a coat, a toque, some food and and some water with luggage transport. And how does luggage transport, can they get luggage to every mountain hut? Or are there some places where you have to actually carry, you know, carry all your stuff between huts? Some huts, you can't have your luggage. So the, the Col du Bonhomme hut or the Bonatti hut, or the Col d'Arpet hut, you can't have your luggage because it's too high in the mountains. But all the other huts are... There are in the mountain, but there's a road access, like rough road. And so they'll all organize some, they have all the pack together so that they only have a few um, vehicles go up the road in the day. And that way you can have, still be in the mountain huts, but have your clean clothes and uh, get changed and have some comfort even staying in the mountain huts. Yeah, as someone from North America, where we're, you know we always have to carry all of our stuff. We're in the mountains; we have our backpacks and everything. To only have a day pack is just like it's so liberating because it's so light, and you just you know in the morning you look at the weather and you pack your day pack, and it's it's just incredible. You can kind of do this every day, do a different hike without having to worry about carrying a bunch of stuff. So it makes it a lot more accessible to a lot of people who maybe can't go backpacking in North America where you're carrying everything. For sure, it makes a really big difference on the ch challenging level that um, that is the Tour du Mont Blanc. And if you do it uh, with no with uh, your luggage every day, then you should have, you can have a pack that is le less than five kilos, uh, which makes a very big difference on your comfort and your pleasure of hiking. Now, there's there's kind of three ways to do it. You can plan it all yourself and, and that works, although I know some of the huts are really hard to book into because you, you can't just go on booking.com and book these huts. You have to phone a number and, you know, speak Italian or speak French to do it. So a lot of people uh, tend to book uh, guided or self-guided hikes. 
uh, our treks. I think most people know what a guided trek is, but for people that have never heard or don't know about self-guided, can you maybe describe, you know, what a self-guided Tour de Mont Blanc is like? So for a self-guided Tour de Mont Blanc, we do all the booking uh, in advance and make sure that all the stages stay the right size and doable and that the luggage transfers are, are organized too. And we give you um, a roadbook and um, mobile app too that you, that leads you the whole way, gives you guidance on the trail and some information too. Uh, so that you can, even if you don't have a guide, you'll have you'll be able to learn some stuff about the places you're hiking through. With your roadbook and your mobile app, you don't have a guide, but you're not alone. Um, you're not a, you're not really alone. You have your you can't get lost, and you get some information. So it needs you need to have a little level of autonomy, but uh, then you don't have to you don't have to take care of anything. Not neither before or during your trip, you just enjoy your trip with nothing to worry about. I think one of the nicest things is it makes it a really nice balance of, you know, having control versus not having to do all the planning and not always having to be at a certain place on a certain time. And what I mean is, you know, if you wake up early and you want to leave right after breakfast, when you're self-guided, you can start early. If you want to have a slower morning and start a bit later, you know, pack up, maybe, you know, just enjoy the view you can start later. And so, you know, if you do it with a, with a partner or with a group of friends, you have complete control of where you, when you walk during the day, but you know that your luggage is still going to get there. You have a map, you, you know where to stop for lunch or for breaks uh, and you know where you're going that night. So it kind of gives you this freedom to explore with the safety net that you're not just going to be like, where the heck are we? You can look at the GPS app and see where you are and you know that everything is going to be taken care of, which, which guided is great, but in guided, you know, you're always subject to, okay, when does the guide want to go? Is the guide too fast for me? Is the guide too slow for me? And so you take a bit of responsibility, but I think it's a really nice option for people that just want the ease of, of booking and getting everything done, but still have kind of the control over their day to day, which is, which is really nice. Um, now, speaking of self-guided and guided, I know the Tour de Mont Blanc every year, it seems to get more and more difficult to get a reservation. Um, when, when do you recommend people start uh, looking to make a booking? I would say uh, the earlier, the better. Four to six months prior to the dates you want is good timing to if you want to have all the accommodation choices you want. So if you want to, because some Mountain huts have 30 to 60 uh, places. So and so when it's full, it's full. You can't get more. So you, you can turn around and have some uh, stages arranged differently. We'll find some solutions. But if you want the best places with the um, space in the best places, four to six months in advance is a good timing. Because the Tour de Mont Blanc itself is not crowded, but, it's, but the, uh, the accommodation places is limited. So uh, once you're hiking, you're not, well, you're not alone, but you see people, but it's not crowded. It, just the accommodations are pretty small. So it gets full pretty fast. Yeah. The one thing we've seen already this year, and, and we're recording this in November, is uh, some of the huts, you know, on peak days, they're already, you know, because like, huts have, some huts have like 
a couple double rooms or a couple quad, you know, rooms where a group of friends can kind of get a, a semi-private room or a couple can get a private room. They don't have many of these. And we're finding for peak days, a lot of those are already all booked out. And so you mentioned if you want to get the itinerary you want and you want to, you know, try and maybe get some of these private rooms, you've got to book as soon as you start considering this because for 2023, it's getting really tough to get people their desired dates. And so there has to be a lot of flexibility and people say, well, I want to go these days. Well, can you go four days earlier or can you go three days later? Because there's a lot of problems in, in that itinerary. Because this is all custom booked, the sooner you, you start, the more likely you're going to get exactly what you want. Exactly. The, the sooner, the better. And we're, we're having some uh, some bookings for 2024 already. And I think it's a good idea if, you, if you're if you sure to go there uh, even a year in advance, it's, it's, uh, it's better. Yeah. If you want to be sure, it's the best way to do. The one thing we know is we know the Tour de Mont Blanc essentially sells out every year um, where you can't do the complete tour uh, because just a lot of the mountain huts or, you know, hotels are all booked. And so there are some other great treks in the Alps. And uh, I've done a lot of these uh, other places. And, I, and one thing I'm just amazed is just the quality of different trekking. So Tour de Mont Blanc is great, but it's not like the only thing. And so let's talk about a few of the other treks that, you know, let's say the Tour de Mont Blanc people are listening to this in February or March and they can't get it, get a reservation. What are some other treks that are kind of a similar distance that people can consider? Uh, so one of the major like booking, uh, like bucket list uh, trek is uh, Chamonix to Zermatt. Uh, so you hike from the, you link the two main mountain towns in the Alps, which are Chamonix in France and Zermatt in Switzerland. So it's a week hike uh, too. It's a little more difficult and alpine uh, than um, the Tour du Mont Blanc. You go a little higher, the, the trails are a little more difficult. You'll have, you can't have it uh, full time in hotels. You'll have to mix in uh, some mountain huts and but you'll pass by great, great landscape, uh, a lot of lakes, mountain lakes, uh, dam lakes in uh, Switzerland. And, well, the best part is when you get to, um, to Zermatt, you, go, you get to the foot of the Matterhorn. And, um, well, just this is uh, pretty amazing. Uh, I did that one when I was younger. And again, I was carrying an 80-liter backpack. I didn't know anything about ultralight. I had so much junk in there. But I remember Chamonix Zermatt was tough because it's once you get into the Swiss side, it's like every day you go from a, you know, a valley bottom over a high pass back down to a valley bottom. And I remember, boy, that, that was, that was a tough one. But the scenery when you're up high was just unbelievable. Like it was just such a stunning route. And then to end in Zermatt, I spent three or four days there just trekking along and it's, you know, it's just such a beautiful city and such a, you know, beautiful area, all the different uh, hiking around there. It, it it's surprising. I know it's popular as well, but I always think, boy, it's so, so beautiful. Why is it not more popular? Why is it not as well known as the Tour de Mont Blanc? Because here, here in North America, so few people have heard of Chamonix de Zermatt. I think um, it's all a question of uh, press, probably. It just, like Tour de Mont Blanc had, was once in a bucket list in uh, some sort of magazine. I don't remember really when. And so it became really, really popular. But Chamonix Zermatt is as, as beautiful, really as beautiful, maybe, and a little more remote too. So if you're, if the challenge is not too high, it's, it's really, well, I couldn't, cho- I really couldn't choose. Yeah, yeah, a perfect way to describe that. Uh, what are some other other treks you can do that are are you know if you can't get into Chamonix de Zermatt because I know even that sells out a lot of a lot of the summer 
Uh, what's what's some other treks possible? So staying in France, there are two main uh, mountain ranges that are that where we do really great treks is uh, the Beaufortin and the Vanoise. Uh, the Beaufortin is really more exclusive. You're really in the picturesque alpine meadows with uh, really beautiful, uh, cute chalets and um, the milky cows, which give the best uh, cheese in the world. The Beaufort is uh, so it's the one of the highlights of the trek is definitely the is definitely the the cheese. And you really you stay really close to the Mont Blanc. Actually, one of one part of the Tour du Beaufortin is common with the Tour du Mont Blanc. So you're always you always have the the Mont Blanc right in your face here. It's uh, a little more uh, rustic. The mountain huts are very authentic. You can't have. It's a little more complicated to have your luggage transfers because you're really uh, more remote in the mountains. But it's beautiful and the. Uh, the, the mix of the alpine meadows and the mass, the view of the massive Mont Blanc that is just standing there, right there for the whole week is is uh, really great too. The Vanoise trek is uh, different. I'll say the highlights of the Vanoise trek is that it's a national park. It's the uh, the oldest uh, French national park, so there's a very much um, a lot of wildlife, and you go you circle uh, all a glacier. A huge glacier and you go around this glacier the whole day the whole time so the whole week you'll be you'll have glaciers overlooking the trails uh, it's all in mountain huts uh, except first and second days with uh, dorms so it's um, it's a little more rustic too but very authentic huts with uh, good food and um, very beautiful uh, very beautiful place too I've hiked and trekked in the Van Wise and again it's I say this about all of the French Alps. They're all just so beautiful and so different. And um, there was definitely a lot fewer people. Like I remember I was in one hut in the Vanois and we were the only people there. And the guardian, uh, she made us like a nice little fondue dinner. We never had fondue at that point. But it was like after being in the, in, in the in the Tour de Mont Blanc, where it's, you know, very busy, to all of a sudden be the only people in a hut, it's like, it's like different. Now, I don't, we were there, you know, the start of the season in mid-July or July, or mid-June, I mean, like, you know, the 15th or the 18th. So it's not like that in the middle of the summer, but it was just like a totally different experience not to have a hut full of other people. What's good too is that all those places are pretty much, pretty close from one another. So even if you like don't get your booking in Tour du Mont Blanc and you want to have another experience in another trek, then it doesn't mean you can't go to Chamonix because like Beaufortin is like an hour away from Chamonix. Vanoise is two hours away. So you can, you can go a few days in Chamonix, have the best hikes, even if you don't do the Tour du Mont Blanc, have the Chamonix experience and then go for your trekking in another mountain range. It's really close and you can combine the both. You know, that's a great, a great piece of advice because there are some great hikes, you know, going up to Lac Blanc, going to see the Mer de Glace, you know, there are some great hikes that you can do just around Chamonix. So spending three or four days there, you can have a great time. And then as you, as you say, go and do a, a hike, you know, take a transfer an hour or two away and then go do your, you know, seven or eight day trek. Exactly. Uh, are there any other treks that you'd recommend if, if you can't get the Tour de Mont Blanc that are, you know, close to, to Chamonix? Well, the last one I'd like to mention is the Grand Paradiso Trek. It's uh, in Italy. It's in the um, first national park in the Alps. So it's a lot of wildlife too. It's um, This one is a little higher in altitude than all the other ones we've talked about before. So you'll go, uh, you're almost the whole time over uh, 2,000 meters. So over 6,000 feet. So you're pretty... 
there's no forest. You're always over forest line, over tree line. So it's all in Italy. So it's all great food, even if you're in uh, pretty rustic mountain huts. But um, yeah, it's a awesome, uh, awesome experience for people who want who can do the challenge. It's a little more challenging than the uh, the other ones we've talked about before. You know, I have, a, I have a few friends who have gone, you know, hiking or trekking in the Grand Paradiso, and they just say it is incredible. Now, what's interesting, though, for me is you're French saying how great the Italian food is in those huts. Like, how good must that food be? Because as a Canadian, it's all good. But as a French person who's saying it's great, it must be out of this world. Yeah, it is. <laughs> for sure. This has been great hearing all about the Tour de Mont Blanc, but also hearing about these other treks, which I think... You know, the Tour de Mont Blanc is only going to get busier because it is, even with all the crowds, an incredible experience. And so I think, you know, hearing about these other places, Chamonix de Zermatt, the Vanoise National Park, Grand Paradiso and Beaufortin, these are all really great options because it is going to be difficult to get bookings on the Tour de Mont Blanc. So Aurélie, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and sharing all these great uh, trekking options, you know, all pretty close to Chamonix. Uh, I hope you liked it and uh, what's sure that here in the uh, Northern Alps we have uh, very great mountains that we love to welcome people to visit. So whatever you choose, uh, come and visit. There's almost like not a bad trek in, in the Alps. I think they're all incredible. Um, I'm going to put some links in the show notes about the different trips we discussed uh, whether it's the you know the, the full Tour de Mont Blanc and hotels or in huts as well as the other great treks. Um, and with that, thanks for listening to this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear about more epic adventures. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures.